Well, good morning and welcome to the last Sunday of 2020. I'm excited to close out this year with this message. My name is Josh, if we haven't met one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, I have a message that's really personal for us today. It's something that I've traveled through the past two months. Because uh, as we were drawing close to uh, the, the close of this year, I just started reflecting on the past 12 months, both the good and the bad that has happened here in 2020. And as I was reflecting on the past uh, 12 months, I, I began to ask myself this question. If I could go back in time to January 1st, 2020, what would I tell myself to prepare me for the coming year? That's a question I want you to think about for a minute. If you could travel back in time to January 1st, 2020, you're a year younger, you're completely ignorant to all the events that are going to take place, what would you tell yourself to prepare you for the next 12 months? I think most of us would probably say, stock up on toilet paper and paper towels, because that stuff's going to be hard to come by in the next, you know, four or five months. We would probably say, Hey, eat at your favorite restaurant between now and about the beginning of March because pretty soon restaurants are going to close and it's going to be weird, but you're not going to be able to actually go in them for a while. And many of them are going to close down never to reopen. So eat at restaurants as much as you can right now. I wonder how many of us would say, hey, sell stocks in these companies because they're about to tank and then invest in these companies because they're going to soar. I mean, think about what would you tell yourself to prepare you for all the craziness that 2020 was? As I was thinking about that, I think I would definitely tell myself some very practical things like stock up on toilet paper. That's good. But I hope that I would have the wisdom to travel back in time and to actually prepare my soul for the onslaught of events that would leave me feeling tired and weary and beat up and sore. Because honestly, by about the middle of November, I was tired. And to use a word that Pastor Scott uses to describe 2020, I was weary. And it's it's not the kind of tired that uh, a good night's sleep would cure. It's not the kind of tired that even a a week longer or or a two-week long vacation would cure. I was tired on a soul level. 2020 just beat me up, if I'm honest. I mean, as we reflect on it, there were some crazy things that happened politically. All of the riots, the social injustice, the being judged for wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, homeschooling kids, sports closing. It was a crazy year. And I found myself just moving from one thing to the next to the next, running on autopilot, living in survival mode. And the more I reflected on this, the more I prayed about it, the more I talked with it, with other people, the more I realized that I was just kind of going through the motions. And I failed on a personal level to disconnect from the craziness of life and to connect with God. And that's why I was feeling so weary. To put it simply, I got caught up in the hustle of 2020 And my soul paid a price. And I don't know if there's anybody watching here today that can relate to that. Or you just feel like, yeah, I lived a good chunk of 2020 in survival mode. 
I was just going through the motions. I was just trying to get to the end of the day so that I could get some sleep to wake up and do it again. Maybe you too got caught in the hustle of 2020. And as you look back, you're like, man, my soul paid a price. And so this morning, what I have for you is not a big idea. We're going to switch it up a little bit. What I have for you this morning is a question. But it's a question that I want you to think about and ponder before you answer. It is a soul question. And this is that question. In what area or areas, because let's be honest, some of us have more than one area of your life is your soul weary? Think about that for even a couple days if that's what it takes. What area in your life do you feel tired and beat up and worn out where you're just living in survival mode, going through the motions? You might have a weary area in your life that has nothing to do with the circumstances of 2020. Maybe you're sitting here watching this this morning and you are weary of being single. You have prayed for years for God to bring that right man or that right woman into your life, the person that you can live life with, that you can serve the kingdom with. Man, you've gone on so many blind dates. You've tried all the Christian Mingle apps. Nothing is working and you are just tired and you're weary. Maybe for you, that area is in homeschooling your kids. I did that for a small chunk of the year, and man, it wore on me. And I was only there for like two hours a day. My wife was the primary one doing it, and it just wore on me. Maybe for you, that's the area where you're just, I'm tired, and you're just going through the motions. Maybe for you, you're weary of grieving. Maybe you're at that age where you have just lost so many loved ones, friends and family members, and you were just tired of grieving. What area in your life are you weary? Once you identify that, I encourage you to write it down on your handout because today we have some good news that we are going to inject into that area. And that good news is this, that Jesus offers us hope. He offers us healing. He offers us restoration He offers us rest for our weary souls. And so this morning, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, and we're going to look at this very familiar passage that many people know of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And from it, we're going to pull two reminders, just two, to help us strengthen our weary souls. So if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 6. It is the second book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, about two-thirds of the way through the Bible. We're going to be in chapter 6, starting in verse 30. This is what we read. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Now, we're going to stop just one verse into it because I have to give you some context. See, these apostles are Jesus' disciples. They're his 12 closest friends that he handpicked. They were like apprentices. And Jesus is the master teacher. And up to this point, he had been teaching them. He had been walking with them and showing them uh, miraculous things, teaching them about the kingdom of God. And then he sends these apostles out two by two to go from city to city, village to village, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. He gave them authority to cast out demons and to heal the sick. And so they go out, and they do this amazing ministry work. 
They go from person to person, city to city, village to village, preaching about the kingdom of God, healing people, casting out demons. And as they do that, their popularity begins to increase. They become like rock stars. People start to recognize them because they are doing incredible stuff. And then in the midst of all of this ministry work, they get the devastating news that their beloved friend John, who we know as John the Baptist, was murdered by King Herod. His head was cut off. And so they go and they get the headless body of their beloved friend and they lay him in a tomb. They come back and they tell Jesus all that they had done and all that they had taught and then listen to what Jesus says next. He, this is Jesus, said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. That is so good. I got to tell you, it's like when I, when I read this, thinking about what I wanted to talk, this was like the, the first time I remember hearing and seeing this invitation. This is so good of what Jesus does. He says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in, a, in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. This is absolutely amazing. I mean, Jesus comes back. He responds with one of the most gracious, compassionate things anybody could say in a moment like this. You know, rather than praise, rather than affirmation, rather than critique, rather than a pat on the back and that a boy, he invites them to come away and to rest. He knows, he sees in them the deeper need in this moment. They didn't need another praise. They didn't need another encouragement. The weight of ministry, the weight of grieving was crushing them. He saw that in them. And so he says, come away to a desolate place and rest a while. I wonder how many people are watching this this morning whose souls are heavy, who are feeling weary from the weight of everything that has happened this year and who just need to take Jesus up on that invitation to travel with him to a desolate place to rest a while. And that's the first reminder for us in this amazing passage is that Jesus invites us to rest from the hustle of life because life can be a hustle. We can just get caught up in it. Even the good stuff, even the ministry stuff, we can get so caught up in that that we fail to disconnect and to rest on a soul level. And as a result, we get weary and we get tired and we get frustrated. Jesus invites us to rest from the hustle of life. It's just so unfortunate. And I'll I'll be the first one to raise my hand. It's so unfortunate how, how many followers of Jesus fail to take Jesus up on this invitation to rest. And I think one of the reasons why we fail to travel with Jesus to these desolate places to experience the kind of rest that he wants to give to us is because we have a plethora of imitation rest to choose from. I mean, if you think about it, does not Netflix invite us to rest? Put on your stretchy pants, pop some popcorn, brew some tea, sit down in your comfortable couch, binge watch 10 episodes of your favorite season of whatever. It's restful. It's amazing. I mean, the average Netflix subscriber watches 50 minutes of Netflix a day. 
But that does not lead to the kind of rest that Jesus is talking about. There are people that I know that shop on Amazon like nobody's business because it, quotes, makes them feel good. But following the idol of materialism because it makes you feel good does not lead to any kind of rest that Jesus is talking about. You can't buy that rest on Amazon. With our social media apps, the average social media user is on their phone or on their social media app about two hours a day. Mindlessly scrolling through stuff does not lead to the kind of rest that Jesus is talking about. And you can fill in the blank. I mean, overeating, overdrinking, having all of your sexual desires fulfilled, making enough money so that you can retire early to, quote, rest does not lead to the rest that Jesus is talking about here. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me. Notice he doesn't say go to Netflix. Notice he doesn't say go to a spouse. Go to a Bible study, as good as those things are. He doesn't say any of that. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We love this verse. We just so often forget about the come to me part and the learn from me part. We'd rather go to something else. And we don't really like learning because learning is a process and learning takes time. And it can be hard and it can be difficult. But what Jesus is doing in this moment with the disciples is that he is teaching them to learn from him. Because for Jesus, traveling into the desert, going into these desolate places to disconnect from life so that he can reconnect with God through fasting and through prayer and through practicing silence and solitude, those, that, that was just part of his life. That was a rhythm that he had developed. It was a habit in his life. And so he's inviting the disciples in to experience that. Like he's saying, look, you guys know that I do this. You know that I often withdraw to desolate places to reconnect with God. And I see that you need that right now. So learn from me. Develop this as part of your life because ministry is going to be hard. Life is going to be hard. You're going to grieve hard things and you have to learn to disconnect from that. To fill your soul with just being delighted in by God. You got to disconnect from stuff. So you can reconnect with God. He's inviting them in to experience this. And you might be thinking, okay, great. Does that mean that I have to, you know, if I want to do this, do I have to travel to a desert to get to this desolate place that's free of distraction? And the answer is no. For me, my desolate place is the forest. I mean, it's literally 10 minutes away. I absolutely love being in the forest, whether that's stringing up a hammock and sitting there and just, looking at the trees and and nature. I love that. I love hiking. I love riding my bike. Being in the forest for me is where, that's my desolate place. Free of distraction. I don't have my audiobooks going. I don't have music playing. I'm not talking with another person. It's just me and God. That is my desolate place. But for you, it might be totally different. Yours might be in your car ride, your commute to work in the morning or on your way back home in the evening where there's no radio, there's no distractions, it's just you driving, praying, listening to God, 
that could be your desolate place. For some people, it's on their evening walk or their morning walk. For some people, it's in their man cave. For some people, it's in their garage or in a closet. I don't know where it is for you, but I am telling you from experience. I know I don't have a ton of experience. I'm only 33, but I have enough, I think, to speak to this. If you do not have that desolate place where you can just break free from the distractions of life, and focus in on just listening to God and being with Him. If you don't have that, you are missing out on a beautiful gift. And I wish that we can camp out in this area for weeks because it is so good. It has transformed my walk with Jesus, practicing solitude and silence. I wish we could camp out here, but we have to move on. But before we do, I want to leave you with a resource. If this has sparked any kind of interest in you, if you're thinking, I would love that. I would love to know how to still my soul long enough to hear God. If you're thinking, I would love to be able to break away from the distractions of life so that I can just reconnect with God, then I want to recommend this book by Ruth Haley Barton. It's called Invitation to Solitude and Silence. It has transformed my walk with Jesus in a powerful way. And she lays out some very practical things that you can do to develop this rhythm, to to develop this habit of disconnecting, breaking away from the craziness of life so you can focus in on doing the soul work that we all need to do and deepening our relationship with God. So it is so worth the 10 or $12 on Amazon to pick that up. They also have it on Audible. If you're more of an Audible person, you like listening to books, it's on both of those, but it is so worth it. We're going to continue on for right now, though. In verse 33, the scriptures pick up. Remember, now they, they, had, they had left. They're, they're so busy, they don't even have time to eat. So they get up into this boat. They start heading across the lake. And many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Apparently, these people ran way faster than the disciples could row the boat because they, I mean, I would love to see this. You know, they, they see this boat start going across the lake. And this herd of people just starts running along the shoreline and they get to the other side before Jesus and the disciples do. And then this is what happens. Now he, that's Jesus, went ashore and saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them. He wasn't angry that they were interrupting his quiet time. He wasn't frustrated He had compassion on them. He saw every face as a need and a hurt. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them. This is absolutely amazing. We are seeing the heart of God lived out through Jesus. He has compassion on these people because they are defenseless. They are helpless. They are like sheep without a shepherd. And he begins to teach them. He begins to provide for them by teaching them with the word of God. It goes on. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and to buy themselves something to eat. You know, it's funny. This is the disciples' go-to response when they're done with people. Send them away. Just go ahead and send them away. We're done. We can go back to our quiet time. You know, it's the response that they gave to Jesus when the Canaanite woman, if you remember that story, I think it might be from Matthew chapter 7. I can't 
remember the, the exact reference, but there's this woman who's crying out to Jesus for him to heal her daughter. And she's making this scene. I mean, they're like out in the streets and, and she's screaming out to Jesus. And the disciples are like, she keeps crying out after us. Jesus, send her away. We're done with her. Send her away. It's what they tell the parents who are bringing their children to Jesus to receive a blessing. They start rebuking them. Jesus doesn't have time for little kids. Send them away. He says, no, 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 let, let, let the little ones come to me. I mean, isn't that like us, really, if you think about it? Get rid of the need by getting rid of the needy. We can get rid of the need by getting rid of the needy. So let, let's just pretend like they're not even here. Let's just send them away. We can, we can move on. It's, it's late. They need to go. They, they need to eat. But listen to what Jesus says. He answered them, you give them something to eat. Not the response that any of them were expecting in that moment. And they said to him, shall we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Jesus, this is absurd. You want us to, to take 200 days worth of wages, go to the closest city, which is pretty far away, buy all this bread, bring it back, and then feed these thousands of people? Are you kidding me? You, you, you want us to do what, Jesus? This is an absurd request. Jesus says, how many, you, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. How beautiful is this? This is Psalm 23 lived out in Jesus right here. Do you remember that Psalm? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Here we have the good shepherd Jesus providing for the needs of these people, first by teaching them with the word of God, and now he's preparing to feed them with physical bread for their body as he, ha as he has them sit down on these green pastures. This is absolutely amazing stuff right here. It, it goes on. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. That is one of my favorite lines in this whole entire passage. Everybody ate and they were satisfied. And they took up the 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. They didn't count the women or the children. There were thousands upon thousands of people here. They had more than enough. There was in abundance. And that leads us to our second point. Second sole reminder for us today is that Jesus is the good shepherd who abundantly provides. Not just enough, but abundantly provides. And here's the thing. We live in a very privileged country. We live in an abundant country. I mean, our pantries are full of food. Our closets are full of clothes. Our homes are full, so full of stuff that we've created a multi-billion dollar industry called storage units where we pay somebody else to house all of our extra stuff because we just don't have space for it. We live in a land of abundance. And yet for many of us, for the first time in our lives, we experienced what a shortage feels like this year. 
I remember going to Fry's after work one day when the whole pandemic started and everybody was buying stuff up, walking down the aisles of Fry's, seeing barren shelves for the first time in my life. And it was, it was, it was weird. I had never seen that before in my entire life. I mean, even all the nasty food was gone. Like, you know, the canned green beans is like extra salted. The disgusting stuff was even being bought up. It was crazy. And as I'm walking through these aisles, empty shelf after empty shelf, I found myself getting into this way of thinking, kind of like like the walking dead survival mode. Like, oh man, this is bad. I'm gonna have to start killing people to get a bag of rice or something. I mean, it was unbelievable the way that I was starting to think, just seeing these barren shelves. I mean, it was, it was absolutely crazy. And it was one of those moments where I just had to like kind of step back and remind myself something about God, some, something that, 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 that I, I fail to realize so often. And that is that God has resources that we actually know nothing about. You know, here I am thinking that, like, man, the world is going to end. I'm not going to have enough food to provide for my family. But the reality is, that's not the case with God. He has resources that we know absolutely nothing about. Do you remember when the Israelites left Egypt? They're walking through the desert. It is dry. It's hot. It's barren. Their canteens are empty. And they start crying out to Moses, Moses, we're going to die out here. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to die in the desert? And then Moses is like, oh God, these people are thirsty. We, we need some water down here. What do you want me to do? And then God says, take your staff and hit the rock. And Moses does, and water comes gushing out. What is that? Somebody does that? You, you might say like, oh, it started to rain. No, 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 not, not, not with God. He says, take a staff, hit a rock, watch me provide. I have resources that you know nothing about. My storehouses are abundantly full I do crazy things. That same God for those same people walking through the wilderness for 40 years. He says, I'm going to bring quail to you each evening and I'm going to provide manna, this weird red flaky stuff that you're going to gather each morning. And I'm going to provide for you day in and day out because he has resources that we know nothing about. Here we see Jesus provide for thousands of people with nothing more than an ancient Lunchable. How quickly I forget that. It's extremely sad. And, and, and I want to pause for a second because I don't want it to come off as though, um, you know, it's called prosperity gospel. I don't want to come off as though God will give you everything that you could imagine, that he will give you way more money than you could ever even dream of it if you just have enough faith. He'll give you all the Lamborghinis. He'll give you all the health and all the prosperity. That, that's not what Jesus is doing here. That's not what I'm trying to communicate. You see, what I think Jesus is doing in this moment is pointing to a truth that Paul so beautifully articulates in the book of Ephesians in his prayer for the Ephesians church. Chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. God can do so much more than we could ever even imagine. You think your marriage cannot be restored? You think your relationship with your children or your relationship with your coworker or your relationship with fill in the blank, you think that God can't restore that? He can do abundantly more than all we ever ask or think. Jesus demonstrates that 
here in this moment. But it's kind of crazy because, you know, Jesus turns to the disciples. He says, you feed them. And I can't help but think that the disciples in that moment felt that they were fully responsible for the task of feeding these thousands of people. Because their response to Jesus seems to indicate that they never even took into consideration relying on him for this absurd request. Look at what they say. Shall we go and buy bread? Jesus, you want us to do what? You want us to take all of the money that we have? Go buy this bread, bring it back. This is crazy, Jesus. You want us to do what? They never seem to actually rely on Jesus. They never turn to him and say, hey, Jesus, we're going to need some of your like walking on water stuff for this one because this is crazy. There's no way we can feed these people. We're going to need you for this. And I do what the disciples did so often. How many times this year have I felt like the things God has called me to do rest completely on my shoulders? How many times have I turned to myself to try to fix a situation instead of relying on God? And I've discovered something about myself this year. That when I start to believe the lie that every crisis and every situation, everything that God has called me to do rests completely on my shoulders, I get very, very defensive. I become like those crazy people that we laugh at and watch videos of on Black Friday that get into fights over the last TV. I might not do this on the outside, but this picture represents what my heart is like so often. I get so defensive when I feel like it all rests on me. I start elbowing people out. I start steamrolling over other people because I got to make sure it gets done. How quickly I forget that I'm not in this alone. That God is there with me. That Jesus is the good shepherd who provides So many times I've found myself living in a state of scarcity this year, clinging to things that I should have held with open hands. And we all live differently in a state of scarcity than we do in a state of abundance. When we're in that state of scarcity, we are far more defensive. We are way more fearful. We are more anxious. And we are far less generous. That's not what God wants for us. That's not who he calls us to be as his followers. And so I needed to remind my soul this season that Jesus is the good shepherd who provides abundantly. I'm not in this alone, that he is with me and he has resources that I know nothing about. So I don't feel like I, I don't need to to, to bear the full weight of what he has called me to do. So I just needed those reminders Looking back on this year, if I could go back in time, I wish that I can go back and say, hey, Josh, you're going to get caught up in some stuff. Make sure you remember who God really is. Make sure you take the time to disconnect on a soul level and invest in your relationship with God. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know how you're feeling as this year draws to a close. But I know for myself, going into 2021, I'm going to be reminding myself about about these things. That God invites us to rest from the hustle of life. And that he is our good shepherd who abundantly provides. And so before we close, I want to give you a couple of next steps so that we can move from a place of weariness to a place of restoration. So our first next step for today is this.
to take Jesus up on his invitation to come away to a desolate place and rest a while. Make time in your schedule this week to take Jesus up on his invitation to come away for a while. I'm not going to put a time limit on it. Five minutes, ten minutes. You might take a whole Sabbath day. I don't know. Just make time this week to travel with Jesus to that desolate place, whatever that is for you, whether that's in the forest, in your car, on your evening walk, travel with Jesus and rest a while. Don't take an agenda with you. Take a simple prayer. Lord, still my soul. Lord, still my soul. Lord, still my soul. Say that over and over until you can get to the place where you can just rest, where you can just sit. You don't have to talk. You don't have to say anything. You just be present with God. Your soul will thank you for it. So that's our first next step. Our second next step is to identify an area where you've been living in survival mode and write it on a sticky note. This is going back to our soul question. What area in your life do you feel like, I'm just going through the motions? I'm on autopilot. I'm on survival mode. I, 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 I just I feel like I'm just not really there. I'm doing the things, but I'm not really there. What area in your life is like that? Is it in your marriage? Is it in a relationship with a person? Is it in your relationship with God? Identify that area. And then what I want you to do is read Psalm 23 and Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 over that area every day this week. It won't take more than a couple of minutes. Just remind your soul that Jesus is our good shepherd. He walks with us through the deepest, darkest valleys. He provides for us and he can do abundantly more than we ever ask or think or can imagine. Your marriage is not beyond his restoration power. Your relationship issues, whatever it is, remind your soul that he is our good shepherd and he can do abundantly more than all we ask or think. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, that even when we are faithless, you remain faithful. We thank you for your tenderness. We thank you for your compassion. We thank you for your grace. Lord, we thank you for carrying us through this crazy year. Father, we ask that as we go into 2021, not knowing what's going to happen, Lord, that you would help us to be people, followers of Jesus, who trust in you despite what the circumstances look like. Lord, that we would remember to rest in you, to run to you for that place of refuge for our weary souls. God, we pray that you would do a work in us, that you would shape us and mold us to be more like Jesus so that we can be those beacons of light in this crazy dark world. We love you and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Done.